The Passover was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jewish leaders then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The leaders then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father in heaven, and God with us, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I began my career as a college radio DJ, I would scour the stacks and shelves of records and CDs that we had at the radio station on the top floor of the Diffenbaugh building at Florida State University for new music and old stuff that I didn't know about, and I loved being exposed to those works of art. They made me feel alive. But it was more than music. We had in that cramped record closet a box set called Great Speeches of the 20th Century. And I would, on occasion, pick one and play it, usually during an overnight shift as a break in the din and dirge of college rock music. Nelson Mandela and Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King Jr.'s words transported me to a different time and place and brought history to life. This weekend and tomorrow, our nation and our world will remember the life and ministry and work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Many of us will share our favorite quotes from his well-known speeches and sermons and letters. His words live on and continue to inspire all of us, young and old, to believe that King's dream of freedom and justice is possible and to recognize that the hard work of change is our responsibility, too. Since 1994, the third Monday in January has been known as a National Day of Service, encouraging all people to get out into the community, to volunteer and participate in opportunities to care for the world around us. King's faith drove him, you know, to take action, when he witnessed the injustice of inequality all around him, the reality of racism and the lie of separate but equal existence in the South, along with the inspiration of those who put their own bodies on the line to make change, like Gandhi and others, sparked his passion and led him to become the most prolific leader in the movement for civil rights in America. 
King's dream was not the American dream, but a vision for a new reality for all people. He knew that our lives were not separate from one another, but that whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Cornell West writes that King's dream was collective. The American dream says I can engage in upward mobility and live the good life, but King's dream was fundamentally Christian. His commitment to radical love had everything to do with his commitment to Jesus of Nazareth, and his dream had everything to do with the community. Since his voice and life were taken from us in April of 1968, we could only wonder about what Dr. King would have to say about the divisions that still plague us in this new century. Just days before he died, he said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I want to believe that's true. And we can say that this nation has seen progress in many ways in the last 50 years, but the reality is that our siblings of color still suffer violence, inequality, and incarceration at a higher rate than those of us with white skin. And the church is not immune from the sin of racism that clings to us. King warned about the passivity of the white moderate, and I have been that, I confess. I'm not proud of it. There is in my own body this reluctance to upset the status quo and the systems that exist by which I can and do benefit. It's true that I am sometimes afraid to say the wrong thing, to say too much or too little. But I realize that God's call in my life is the center of my identity. And to proclaim God's love to the captives, to feed the poor, to work for justice means that I have to get real about the ways that I have participated in systems of injustice in our world. Martin Luther wrote that the life of the Christian should be one whole life of repentance. 95 Theses, the first one. We have seen in the last two years how shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. And it's easy to justify our own actions and allow others to do the work while we sit aside and watch or from the safety of our own homes or post some snarky tweet or status update on Facebook. But I'm still learning that to love and serve one another means to take seriously the voices of those who cry out for justice, to see the pain that exists just beyond our own fences, just outside our church doors, and to realize that justice is not about just us, but about all people living in a way that honors one another and the world we live in. So this story of Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem looks on the surface to be this story of the warrior arriving to stamp out injustice. And there are hints of that in there. I think that's part of it. But this temple system included ways for people to come and pay for their offerings, birds and sheep and cattle even, in the outer court of that place of worship in the temple, to do what was required according to the religious custom. And the coins that featured the image of Caesar had to be changed to be acceptable, and this was the role of the money changers. So many people came from a distance. They couldn't bring their own animals for the sacrifice that they might become blemished and unclean. 
So there was a system. It existed for a reason, and it did what it was designed to do. We can expect that there were those who took advantage, some that profited more than others. And Jesus enters with a powerful reaction to the presence of these animal sellers and money changers. And with a whip in hand, creates a commotion, overturning tables and driving out those who were just doing their jobs during the Passover holiday. In a majority of John's gospel, we get unique material, stories and signs not featured in the works of Matthew and Mark and Luke. Last, last week we heard one, like Jesus turning that water to wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And we can't find that story anywhere else. And today, though, we hear this story in the temple. That's reported in all four of those gospel accounts. But John gives us this story, these events, in a different order, with a different emphasis. It's interesting to note the first three gospel writers present this story towards the end of their proclamation, when Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover before his crucifixion. And overturning tables serves as the event that prompts the religious leaders to call for his execution. We get it. In his final sermon, Dr. King shared that, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. King was convicted by his faith in God to speak truth to power, to do what was needed even at the risk of his own life, for the sake of his children and grandchildren and all people, yours and mine. Truth-telling is a dangerous business. But rather than make this event uh, the reason for Jesus' condemnation, John moves the story to the beginning of his proclamation of the good news, which will mean that there must be some other event that will cause those in power to seek his death, Last week we heard that story at the wedding, Jesus reluctant to draw attention to himself, saying, my hour has not yet come. But today, he's in the temple in Jerusalem at the center of the spectacle. Here we see Jesus zealous for God's house, himself, the living word of truth, deconstructing a system no longer needed. Jesus is God with us dismantling the sacrificial system that is no longer needed. Was needed. It was needed to dismantle, to redirect people, to the focus from the temple, to the presence of God right there among them in Jesus. So the people want him to show a sign, some show of authority that would justify him doing such a thing. People were upset, I'm sure. And Jesus responds cryptically, answering, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, we hear that loud and clear. Three days, we know he's talking about resurrection, and the text tells us he's talking about the temple of his own body. But Jesus is the new temple, all that is needed to bring humanity into the presence of the divine. Look here in Jerusalem at the Passover. Here this Lamb of God is shooing away doves and pigeons and turning out cattle and sheep, calling people to faithful love and devotion to God 
who is right there with them. Some of them understood. They came to believe in him because of what he was doing. What Jesus did got people to notice something new was happening. But he knew that would not be enough. They couldn't fully understand. Just like he told Nathaniel, there is more to this than what we can see. King's work made the world take notice of the struggles of the black community in America. Marches and the bus boycotts and the speeches and the service he gave were a clarion call to action for those who had been oppressed and those who benefited from oppression. A call to change their ways, but that was not the end. The promise of liberty and equality for all people is a work in progress that takes faith and righteous anger, and truth-telling, and intentional action to bring change. As followers of Jesus, we ought to know that God's presence lives in and among us. Christ is alive and risen, and the Spirit of God that dwells in each of us makes us one people, one church, one body. And when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer so you don't have to be woke, but only awakened to Christ who is near to us all in our suffering, in our fears, in our disabilities and dysfunction and disasters and disease. To know that Christ is in us and is in each of our neighbors. Can we be awakened to see that face of Christ in each of them? We need it now more than ever. The world is changing rapidly and change is difficult. Jesus proclaims to us today a new reality. And as the righteous judge upsets the tables to which we cling and calls us to see this new perspective too. Jesus' own body is the temple, the place where God dwells in and with us, the place where God lives. And he comes to us as a baby, as a teacher, as our friend, as prophet, as protector, Speaking truth and love for a hurting world, he is our Savior. And Jesus knows our fears and our reluctance to upset the status quo and forgives us, but continues to call us out of ourselves. He sees the need of the people to be reconciled to God and demands not sacrifices, but gives freely his own body to be building this world rebuilding it in the light of the resurrection. And we are made new, not into a them and us, but into the body of Christ. And we, all of us, are called to love and serve in radical new ways, to look past old divisions and live in the kingdom inaugurated in his body. God is with us. God is for us, but not just us. With all the people of God, we can agree with Dr. King that the time is always right to do what is right. And we have been forgiven for our complacency, our complicity, and our complaining, and freed from our selfish needs and desires to be for one another, to be for freedom, and to live faithfully in the presence of the King of all kings, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.